we're creating not just a change in behavior because of the speed and reliability of the service. So more more frequent purchasing of, of smaller numbers or amounts of goods, but we're also creating new um, categories of demand that didn't exist for vendors before. So sounds crazy, but it's live. We've been live doing this for two years. And in the last time we operated in 38% of the houses in the, of the population used the service more than 1.6 times a month. This is now totally replaced road-based delivery where we go. It's a complete and total replacement for road-based delivery. And that's why it's so exciting. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about Irish innovators and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. Welcome to today's episode. We are recording this over the Thanksgiving break here in the US. We are coming up to Black Friday, the biggest shopping day in the US. And there's a lot of articles around how companies like Amazon are investing in drone delivery. So this kind of brought up this idea of, is this actually feasible? Is this something that is beneficial to cities, to rural communities? Um, is it actually safe for consumers as well? Like, what's it going to be like with a bunch of drones flying overhead? This is an area that I knew very, very little about. Uh, I've obviously seen drones, I've seen videos of drone delivery, but I really wanted to get to the bottom of what's actually happening in this industry and, and, and just what is the potential of it? So who better to speak to than Bobby Healy, who founded MANA? Now, MANA has already become Europe's largest drone delivery company. They've completed over 100,000 drone deliveries in Ireland alone. So he talks through some fascinating insights and uh, gives his perspective on, on truly where the opportunity lies with this. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. I found it very fascinating um, and I'm just going to drop you straight in it. Bobby, thank you so much for taking out the time to join us on the Digital Irish podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Dave. Well, firstly, I wanted to take you back to the beginning of this journey. Uh, what was it that initially inspired you to look into drone delivery and this industry? Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a techie, so I'm, I have a natural curiosity on learning all things tech, software and hardware. And I happened to live in a suburb in South County, Dublin, and it's a suburb of about 40, 50,000 people. And despite being, you know, lots of houses, probably about 10, 15,000 homes here, there's very few options for delivery from restaurants or, or grocery or to be honest with you, anything that you might buy in this suburb. And as it turns out, any other suburb, it's nearly impossible to get it delivered in a reliable cost-effective way where that preserves the quality of what's delivered so you know I was thinking what what way what better way to solve that than with robots and at the time I had been investigating various different applications for drones and drone technology and I married those two things together the last mile delivery industry and drones and it, to me anyway three years ago now it seemed like very obvious marriage of tech and problem that's really interesting. I mean, it, it sounds like that you really kind of just focused in on 
an area which was kind of being underserviced right now. And you were thinking to yourself, hey, like, how do I help service that area? How do I help service people that aren't getting access to what many in like urban areas are probably more used to? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's definitely equalizes living in between urban and suburban. And what, what people don't see is that there's there's a there's a few very big problems with human road based delivery. Number one, just purely on cost, it, it costs a food delivery platform between six and nine dollars per delivery to move hamburger and fries around. And it's just a very, very difficult thing to, to make work when your average basket value is 20 to $30 of a, of a restaurant. So the cost equation is just, it, it makes it virtually impossible to make a decent margin if you are a delivery, a last mile delivery business. So, so that was kind of, that underpinned, you know, normally when you have a bit of technology, it's, you know, or when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So when you have a bit of technology like a drone, you don't just necessarily use drones for the sake of it. But in this case, the cost or the incremental cost of doing a delivery with a drone is an order of magnitude cheaper than using a person and a vehicle or a person and a scooter or a bike. So there's there's a clear rationale for using a drone. And the other clear reason is that the average flight time of a delivery with a drone is less than three minutes. That's when we've done... 125,000 delivery flights is less than three minutes. So it means that product and product quality, delivery quality, customer experience is fixed. I mean, it's the way it should be. Whereas if you look today at any of the food or or anything delivery platforms, the NPS or the user rating is terrible for them. It's one star out of five for pretty much all the platforms. And it's not because the platforms don't do a great job. They do. They have great technology. They've optimized the hell out of it. Um, and they're bright people. But the, the problem is gig economy, labor, labor laws, effectiveness of, of using roads with traffic and with traffic lights, all those things. It's just a structural impossibility to solve that well with that mode. So um, it, it, it's really gigantic $350 billion industry in food delivery with an almost unfixable cost problem and efficiency problem that can be fixed with drone delivery. $350 billion. I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually, sorry, I should have said it's a, it's 180 billion today, but according to McKinsey grows to 350 billion by 2030. So in what's that, seven years away, uh, it's 350, but it's today it's at 180 billion. So it's pretty much going to double in the next like seven to eight years. That's incredible growth. Yeah, um, it is. It is. And it's and and it's very, very difficult for that industry to to grow because I mean you, you look at the operating margins of any of the, the big guys, or even if you look at their their unit economics, they they're they're not sexy businesses, even though they have growth um and they produce a great product for consumers that really want it. The, the, the hard truth is that the margin economics, because of the difficulty uh, of labor, just make it, it's always going to be really unattractive in terms of the unit economics, unless there can be ways um, to change either consumer behavior or reduce the cost underneath it all, which is, again, the whole point of why we exist. And, you know, you're talking about reducing the cost, but a huge cost of that, you know, of current delivery is the human labor. 
So if we're talking about reducing costs, it, it does mean that you're almost looking at how do you automate this? How do you actually create something that uh, is way, uh, way more automated but efficient at the same time? So it does feel like that the industry that you're operating in and like drone delivery is probably one of the best ways of looking at reducing costs in this in this industry, right? Yeah, there's, I mean, the, the, the number one current lever that, that the big guys have to reduce cost is, is something called batching. And batching is where the delivery driver will wait in the restaurant for three or four orders before they'll go. And then they'll drop those three or four orders along the way. So picking up multiple orders per driver. And that that's sensible. That's something that, that can be controlled in a particular way and and you can optimize the hell out of it and, and all you have to do is go from three to four for the number of batch orders and you get more efficiency from a driver the problem with that is of course there's a limited return on that there's only so many things you can batch because product quality you end up with an hour delivery time instead of 20 minute delivery time and you have a terrible customer experience you have an unpredictable customer experience it, it affects demand because if you get an estimated delivery time of an hour from when you order, you're you're highly likely to just drive to the restaurant to order that product rather than wait the hour. And then the uncertainty around it, it's just very difficult. Batching is very, very difficult to keep the customer happy, but it does reduce the cost, right? But batching does not work in suburbs. And, and the reason it doesn't is there isn't sufficient population density or restaurant density to support batching. And so... What you see in the suburbs usually is less than two orders per delivery hour. So in other words, each driver will, will achieve less than two deliveries per hour. Whereas in, in urban centers like the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the London's and so on, they'll be getting from three to four, maybe upwards of five deliveries per hour. So they're diluting their hourly labor costs of whatever, 10 to $15 an hour by that factor. But that just doesn't work outside of urban areas. So when you think about drones, drones work perfectly in, in suburban areas, which is almost the inverse of what works for uh, road-based and human-based platforms. And so the, the main lever that the big guys have doesn't, doesn't really apply in suburbs. And, and so you need a different solution to the problem. And pricing isn't one because you just can't charge customers more. Um, there's been all sorts of, what I would say is cost engineering and revenue engineering around maximizing revenue per order to offset that cost. But the, the hard truth is, is the cost, the blended costs across Europe and the United States is between six and nine dollars per delivery. And that hasn't it's improved a little bit in urban centers, but it's not coming down in suburbs. And if anything, the big guys are retreating from the suburbs because it's just too difficult to make a positive margin. It really does sound like then that this is this is a solution that better connects the suburban and rural communities and make sure that as well businesses in those areas actually have something that's even more viable because they expand their customer base potentially if they're able to continue these deliveries in a cost-effective manner. It's actually, it's much more than just expanding um so when you have a sub three minute delivery system and it's reliable at scale, customer behavior changes. So what I mean by that is 
if if the customer is certain about when they're going to get their product and it's within the time frame that they want they're going to change their behavior to always rely on that delivery and that's the first part so example um where we're live in commercially live here in dublin um you know we get orders like one onion like last a couple of weeks ago somebody ordered one onion for for drone delivery and and that's an interesting order because that customer had already ordered over 50 deliveries from us it's a customer that knows well how to use the platform and knows how reliable it is and how fast it is and feels comfortable enough to order an onion um from drone delivery now obviously that onion purchase would never have happened without drone delivery because they're not going to get in their car to get an onion uh spend an hour round trip you know to get an onion this is not going to do it so it, it's the it's the optionality or should i say the demand generation that we create by the reliability and speed of the service and similarly there's certain categories that don't exist today for delivery um, that suddenly become viable with drone delivery example coffee our largest item that gets ordered and we've a, we're operating in a town of 35,000 people now but the most commonly ordered item is a hot coffee a cappuccino latte and so on and what in what world did coffee delivery ever work in a suburb prior to drone delivery it didn't it just wasn't viable and now it is so we're creating not just a change in behavior because of the speed and reliability of the service so more granular more frequent purchasing of of smaller numbers or amounts of goods but we're also creating new um categories of demand that didn't exist for vendors before so the, the local coffee shop um that we power now has a 30 square kilometer catchment area 35,000 customers that they can reach in three minutes uh with a with a hot coffee when it gets delivered the local bookshop has a better product than Amazon bookshop has because you can order a book online now where we are and you get it in less than five minutes in your back garden by air. And, and this is sounds crazy, but it's live. We've been live doing this for two years. And in the last time we operated in 38% of the houses in the, in the, of the population used the service more than 1.6 times a month. So this is not some crazy, let's do some stunts and do some trial drone deliveries. This is now totally replaced road-based delivery where we go. It's a complete and total replacement for road-based delivery. And that's why it's so exciting. That's really fascinating because, you know, I, I've always been curious as to what the current usage of drone delivery looks like right now. It does sound as though that it's becoming increasingly a part of daily life for the people who have access to it right now. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's kind of little signals that, you, you know, like the obvious one is how many times do people use the service? And I mean, everyone will use drone delivery once and maybe twice or, or maybe very occasionally for, you know, like you go to the circus, drone delivery is a bit of a circus. So it's a kind of random treat. But actually, when you when you look at our data, the cohort is very clearly even more popular than row-based delivery. And like the crossover, the, should I say, the conversion rate of 38% is phenomenal. I mean, there's no road-based platform that can touch anything close to 38% conversion of a large population. And so, so we, we already know from usage data and conversion data, so frequency and conversion, that 
it becomes normalized very quickly. So your first order is jellies and chocolates and all sorts of junk. And that's the children wanting to test out drone delivery. And it's a family kind of experience. But very quickly thereafter, uh, it switches to coffee and groceries, which is the adults um, using the service. And then the next signal, like other than just data and be, you know, observed behavior through purchasing, there's also kind of side uh, observations, I'd call them. And one interesting one is the first handful of orders people get, they're outside their house filming the thing when it arrives, they're putting it on Twitter, Instagram, and so on, or TikTok. And pretty much after their 10, 15 order, they don't even come out of their house anymore, let alone film it. So they they wait on our app. They're looking at the aircraft in real time as it's flying towards their house, just keeping an eye on it. And they know when it's overhead, they get a notification when the product is on the ground and then they come out of their house. And so that's kind of the, the novelty of drones is long gone and they've moved to the utility of drones. And so now they don't have to, tip a delivery driver they don't have to open the door uh with all that comes with that to a delivery person they don't have to have uncertainty around when the product will arrive they will be sure that the product will be piping hot if it's a perishable product when it arrives so we've completely fixed the last mile delivery experience and 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 it's just it's almost sad it's so boring once people get used to it <laughs> that's such an interesting way of putting it like how boring it actually gets when like it almost feels like such an exciting development right now i i mean we've yeah we've seen so many articles recently about amazon and like uh here in the u.s like walmart and others starting to invest in this technology but um i i suppose there's two questions the first is like why are we hearing so much about it now? Why is it now that we're starting to see this increased proliferation? And then secondly, based off of like what you've said there, it sounds like that we also shouldn't be sleeping on the impact that this is going to be having to small and medium-sized businesses, let alone the Amazons and Walmarts of the world. Yeah. Um, so second part of that first, um, it definitely, if you give infrastructure to small businesses, they thrive. And if you provide an efficient last mile service to local businesses, they really thrive. So you think about the local butcher, the local vegetable store, local bookshop, the local coffee shop. Um, imagine, you know, if, if right now they're relying on footfall, they're relying on the customers to walk by their shop and buy their stuff and, and go off. And, and that customer, they're competing with the big, huge supermarkets or they're competing with Amazon or whoever. And now they're they're literally able to reach all of the customers within three to five kilometers uh, of their shop and for free because the customer pays a delivery fee. So it's a really great benefit to, well, to all business. I mean, we, we power very large brands. We power Coca-Cola. We power Ben and Jerry's. We power Samsung, Tesco. So we're powering huge brands, but we're also powering the tiny little guy the blast the street food that's a one-man band that, that sells burgers and fries we power and um, bow Bonya. this is a little a brother and a sister that make milkshakes and they're they're selling hundreds of milkshakes a week now by drone delivery so so drone delivery is a think of it as an infrastructure that that lifts all boats together and it also equalizes i suppose the biggest advantage that the giant delivery companies have 
is now available to the smallest businesses. So it's it's powerful for sure. I, I love that because, you know, uh, thinking of like one example, there's a bookstore in my area that I absolutely love, but it sells books at the same price as Amazon. But if you think about the those moments where you're just like, oh, I just want it. Yeah. I think like the average customer, if they're weighing up, well, I have to either drive there or walk there versus click a button and get it. Right. You know, yeah. those, those large companies probably have that advantage right now, but it sounds like that you're really kind of equalizing things like that drone yeah. delivery can be the great equalizer here. We 100% think so. We, we, we fully expect that, particularly when you think about books, because it's a good example but we, we will fully expect the local bookshop to beat Amazon for book sales. Once they do a good job of inventory, then it will be more expedient for people to order their books locally than centrally through Amazon, even though Amazon is such a fantastic product. I mean, I mean, you got to say it's awesome and Prime is incredible how to make it work. But there's a loyalty to the local business, I think, that will benefit the local business in this case. And once you equalize the product offering and the price and and the deliverability of the product is that i it would be my expectation that people will order locally and get the product immediately rather than wait the the four hours or the day or whatever it is that that the big guys can offer you so yeah it is interesting and um there's there's so many ramifications to infrastructure when you if you remember you know, no one's old enough to remember, but the first cars that came out had a guy walking in front of them with a red flag to, you know, warn everyone the car was going. It was such was the excitement. And and more, you know, more recently, mobile phones and internet and all of these infrastructures completely transformed consumer behavior. And nobody would have predicted what something, a toy like a mobile phone could could end up being in 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 the hands of of businesses that use it as a tool similarly the internet drone delivery and robotic delivery for the last mile is just as powerful because it means that you're automating fixed place business so bricks and mortars businesses you're turning them into online businesses immediately because now they're available to everyone in the locality and with automated delivery so it's such a transformative and disruptive mode of delivery that we'd expect businesses to reorganize how they sell, how they position themselves. We fully expect consumer behavior to change around the granularity and frequency of purchases that they make. So floating all boats, the, the only real, the loser, the only loser out of this transformation would be the delivery driver, the guy on the bike or the guy in the car. And in that case, I'm proud to get rid of those jobs because they're not the great use of a human being. They're dangerous. They result in traffic accidents, deaths and injuries every single day of the week. And it's a waste of a human being to be carrying a hamburger around. So we think that by automating the, the ugly part of it, the delivery, that you ultimately create loads of jobs and you empower all of these businesses. A quick pause in today's podcast because we want to hear from you, the listener. We are constantly trying to improve the Digital Irish podcast. We want to make it more engaging. We want to make sure that we're bringing in the best guests. We want to hear your feedback, advice, and tips for future speakers and interviewees. So please email us at hello at digitalirish.com if you have any suggestions for the show. Also, if you yourself are 
an innovator, an entrepreneur, or feel like you have something unique to say, please also reach out to us as well. We'd love to hear your story. That's hello at digitalirish.com. Now back to the interview. There's another element that I'm thinking of here because, you know, I lived in New York for, you know, almost seven years. And I would say by the time I left there that anywhere between a third to a half of traffic on the roads was couriers and delivery drivers. And like that meant that firstly, obviously you have traffic congestion, but also there is this aspect of, um, you know, the pollution that comes with that, the carbon footprints that comes with that. So, you know, I know we've talked about the benefits to the kind of suburban and rural environments, but it also seems like that there could be a great benefit to the more urban environments as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's more difficult. Well, there's, there's two, we'll start off with suburban, high density suburban, and we will scale uh, to most European countries and hopefully soon enough the USA by supporting suburban first. And the reason that is that, er, firstly, on one hand, urban delivery last mile financially can be profitable. So you can do the batching that I spoke about and the average distance to the delivery driver has to transport a product in an urban context would be less than one mile, in fact, closer to half a mile. So they're much more efficient and they can get anywhere from three to five, even more deliveries per hour. So your your overhead of the delivery is not as substantial in urban. It's still awful, but it, it can be profitable. And then the second reason, which is more an even more difficult problem to solve is looking at New York, looking at Manhattan, all those tall buildings and make it impossible for drone delivery to work because there isn't a place on which to winch the product down to. So for those that don't know, we when we deliver, we hover at about 60 feet above the ground and we, we winch the product down onto the ground. So that's obviously not going to work in a very, very densely populated area where there are no front gardens or back gardens or there is no roof that the customer can access. So, so there's a physical reality that will prevent really densely urban populations being supported by drone delivery. And I think for for those cases, I think Manhattan or center of London, I think the ground robots are, you know, probably the best optimization that you can hope for, you know, the, the starships or the neuros, those guys, uh, you know, and they come with their own problems around the time it takes and the fact that they have to navigate, you know, footpaths and traffic and things like that. So it's a funny one, but it looks like the suburban dwellers are going to have this luxury and the urban guys probably won't have it. Now that's interesting because uh, just, I mean, I've, I've moved out of Manhattan since. And like, I think one of the biggest, uh, you know, I, I love being further out of a city and I love being in a area where I've got more space, but the downside of that is that kind of like access to pretty much everything at your fingertip. You know, in Manhattan, you could literally get anything that you wanted within like a few hours. Um, so it again, it, it it sounds like that you're kind of adding the benefit of the city accessibility uh, to a suburban environment, which is personally fantastic to hear. I'll I'll, I'll love actually being able to order yeah. from some of my favorite restaurants that are like 
10 miles away. So not exactly the most yeah. convenient, you know? Well, you need to think, right? Yeah, you folks need to think, right? Manhattan is, Manhattan is about 70,000 people per square mile. Greater New York is about 25 to 30,000 people per square mile, right? So, but think about the 70,000 people per square mile. It's just too dense. They're all usually living in skyscrapers or large apartment buildings. Whereas you look at the, you know, 60% of the United States lives in population density less than 5,000 people per square mile. So those are the 82 million homes that are single family, detached family homes with front and back gardens. So those 82 million homes are our target markets where we can deliver right into your back garden or your front garden and you're going to be happy. But that's the filter really is population density in terms of the propensity or the likelihood that we're going to roll out there. And you could almost apply a filter of 10,000 people per square mile and downwards for where drone delivery will really, really work well. And like the town where we're in now in North Dublin, it's seven and a half thousand people per square mile. And we can reach 99% of the houses in that town for delivery. That's incredible. And like, Go, going back to something I mentioned already, but there there does seem to be a green element to this in the sense of like, you know, as you're reducing, you know, car uh, cars on the road um, for deliveries, um, that actually you're reducing the carbon footprint then of a lot of businesses, which, you know, obviously is also a huge, huge benefit um, for for everyone that's involved, not just you know, the businesses, but for the entire community as a whole. That's right. I mean, you can look at, the, so firstly, when it, when a drone flies, it doesn't produce any emissions whatsoever because it's battery powered. The energy that goes into the drone to charge the battery on, on an average flight, it's 180 watt hours. So we've, we've got a, we, we commissioned a report by a university here in Ireland, University of Maynooth, and actually Wing uh, Alphabet's drone delivery program commissioned same from Virginia Tech. Both reports are almost identical in their, in their outcome. And we compared the different modes of delivery. So truck, big car, small car, petrol car, electric car, down to motorbike and electric bike. And drones are more efficient in energy use than any of those modes of transport. In fact, eight times less energy use than a small uh, car. A small electric car so that's the first part is the the overall energy consumption is the lowest of any other way to move things around the emissions are zero because we can buy green energy to charge the batteries and they produce no emissions whatsoever and then some people will say oh yeah but what about the aircraft production of that all that stuff that's all fine because we get two hundred thousand flights out of an aircraft so the the actual energy for the creation of the aircraft is minuscule on a per delivery basis so we know with confidence that this is the greenest possible way to move products around neighborhoods without anything coming even close to it and then the other part of it is which you know when you think about esg or, or social acceptance we're also quieter than an electric car. So if you compare an electric car driving past a home and a drone driving past a home or flying past a home, we make far less noise than the electric car. And people often associate drones with a lot of noise and buzzing, all that stuff. If the drone is designed properly and it's an industrial scale drone, it can be made to have quite a, quite a nice sound profile, which is where we already are. 
I just want to touch on something you just said there. Did you just say that you got like 200,000 trips out of a drone uh, on average? Correct. So you're, the drone, the lifetime of, of these drones, our drones, is 200,000 flights. And that's the, the useful life. And those are six-minute flights on average. Some, sorry, they're four-minute flights on average, six minutes maximum flight time. That that actually kind of starts answering a question that I had in regards to like the cost of maintenance and upkeep. Again, like if you told me that my car could do 200,000 uh, journeys uh, without like getting a replacement, I'd be like, that's incredible. Great. You know, it's like, yeah, no, uh, don't, don't. So that's the, that's the lifetime of the drone, but the numbers are, it's not, a, it's not that nice. So we still have to maintain it. So the maintenance, you have a weekly maintenance on the drone, which is a, simply an inspection and then things like motors. So the moving parts like motors um, do have to be replaced, but, but our motors, for example, are good for 5,000 hours of flight, which is about, roughly 30,000 flights per motor even that though i mean i mean i yeah no it's I'm good probably, no, it's, i'm I mean, probably it is good. yeah yeah it is but i'm serving the headline number place. the headline number of 200,000 really only applies to the airframe and the structural components things like the pcb all that stuff the sensors all of the 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 avionics that are in there that you know the solid state stuff but anything that moves uh, will break so therefore you have a finite number of cycles or hours or flights or whatever. And, but it's still remarkably nice profile in terms of the capital cost of the aircraft, the maintenance cost and the, the revenue per delivery. Just the, the numbers are beautiful for this business, for, for anyone that operates a business like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, as well, like I imagine that, you know, again, because you're not dealing with like, you know, uh, certain insurance costs as well in regards to like having a car on the road and that kind of thing that overall the numbers just seem to seem to make a lot of sense then for especially small and medium sized businesses who, um, you know, don't have the infrastructure to do large scale mass deliveries at scale, like the likes of Amazon, you know, um, yeah. it's pretty incredible. And, you know, just thinking about, um, just thinking about then like, what the world looks like with kind of uh, ubiquitous drone delivery. Looking at suburban areas, you know, uh, one question that has come up is the safety element of things. So like, what does a world look like with drones flying overhead? Is this an unregulated world everywhere? Or would there, would there be systems in place to kind of just make sure that we don't have like drones crashing into each other or that kind of thing overhead um, and yeah. potentially causing safety concerns. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's an episode of Paw Patrol that covers this well. Um, you'll see it on YouTube, <laughs> but, but in, in real life, uh, you know, we're all regulated by aviation regulators, where in whatever country we're operating in, in our case, we're operating in, in Ireland, so we're covered by EASA, the European regulator, and in the USA, it's obviously FAA, there's extremely tight regulation around both the governance operating procedures and controls in the entity, so in the company. So in, in essence, you, you're licensed as an airline, as a small airline or helicopter company, and you're audited and you're, you have to have all the safety systems, the training, the processes and so on that as you're operating an aircraft, you need to have all of that uh, substance and safety. And, and so that's 
well documented and then a standard part of aviation that's been in existence for decades and all of the companies in drone delivery fall within that and and we have a european wide operating license from the european regulator and that comes with all of the overhead essentially of being a european airline so that's the operational part then the actual hardware part or, or the aircraft itself also has a regulatory regime and it's also operated by the aviation regulator and it is essentially a very strict set of controls and again processes for both design manufacturing and then of the actual functionality of the aircraft in terms of safety failures mitigations hazards that can happen and how you mitigate and so on so you have a certification process for the aircraft that in the USA it's called type certification in Europe it's called design verification or airworthiness certificate that you get for the aircraft and that's essentially the regulator examining all of the design the approach to the design the process that you use to design the aircraft along with the way you manufacture it and then the aircraft's capabilities itself and you end up with a certificate or a license to operate that aircraft that is guaranteed to be safe and that's the thing right so to start a drone delivery business today, it's going to take you five years to get in the air and to be able to fly over populated areas with a aviation license. So it is not for the faint hearted. You need a lot of capital to build a business like this and a lot of time. But the people that we fly over know that they're safe when we do that. And so we it wouldn't be appropriate for companies to certify themselves or to say themselves that they're safe. Uh, you need a lot of oversight around this or you would have. Um, a lot of bad actors going too fast, too quickly, taking risks, and there'd be accidents as a result. But but for now, anyway, this industry looks very like being a normal airline and an aircraft manufacturer rolled into one. That's interesting. And I suppose going back to your point about, you know, for people that are, you know, using drone delivery right now to get service for themselves, it's becoming increasingly boring. So it's almost like, just over time, like the, the sight of drones flying overhead and everything else, it, you won't even think about it. It's like almost the way that like the sight of cars on the road don't concern yeah. you because you know that there's safety standards. You know that in the back of your mind that there are rules and regulations of the road and that kind of thing. And that already happens. I mean, it, where we operate now, you see people, nearly everyone that's walking, just walking along minding their own business and a drone might fly overhead or it might come close to them to do a delivery in, in a house that they're walking past. They don't even bother looking anymore. It's like, really, it's so weird. It's just, I mean, I never get bored looking at it. I, every time I see one of our drones, I, I look at it. I just find it still really interesting. But the average Joe Soap on the street doesn't care anymore. It's just they're, most of them have used the service already. They're bored taking videos and it's just that's it. They're just doing their job, just like a car going by in the road, a drone going by in the air is just as disinteresting for them. It's really interesting then to, to kind of see how it becomes like the kind of the norm. I mean, for you, like looking forward, like for whether it's like a year from now or five years from now, what does the industry look like and what does success look like for you? Yeah, five years, 
So the way the way to think about this is Europe is different than USA. Europe is ahead in terms of regulatory preparedness. So Europe has set forward a bunch of regulations, many of which become law 1st of January 2023. So in three months from now, the law in Europe supports scale drone delivery and the regulations accordingly. So Europe is kind of ready. So you'll see companies like us, and we think we're the first and biggest now in Europe currently anyway, and we, we will be scaling across Europe by the end of 2023, early 24. And it'll take us two to three years to get into most large suburbs in most large European countries. But you could fully, I you should be surprised if you don't have drone delivery in three years in a suburb in Europe. That's kind of the time frame. And I think for the USA, that's probably a year, maybe two years behind. And that might change. The USA may actually accelerate its regulatory processes and things might happen more quickly. But for now, it's our view that that Europe is slightly ahead in readiness. And so I think three to five years and um, certainly five, maybe three, most suburbs will have drone delivery operating at scale. That's really exciting. Uh, I mean, again, I mean, I'm based in the US, so probably have a little bit longer for uh, for me to wait. Uh, until if you move, can... if you move uh, to where we're operating, we'll be operating early next year in the USA doing drone delivery. So, oh, you, excellent. You so move. whereabouts will that be? We haven't announced it yet, um, and we won't be announcing it until the end of the year. Sorry for that. Oh, no worries. We'll make sure to check back in with you then. Uh, yeah. Once- announcements that's really exciting um so we'll definitely make sure to uh to publicize that with the community once you announce that that's amazing um so for now i mean firstly i just want to thank you so much for taking out the time because i know how busy you are and you know this is such a fast growth industry such an incredible uh incredible uh, area to be in right now and such an exciting area to be in right now um so really to close out i just wanted to kind of hear it you know if there's anything that our community can help you with your continued growth you know we've got a community filled with self-starters aspiring entrepreneurs investors um is there anything that you'd like to ask of this group uh yeah of course um Number one, I'm always hiring. I'm always looking for, or should I say, we are always looking for great engineers. Um, engineers are the lifeblood of a growth company like us, and we're looking for engineers. So if you're an engineer listening to this and you're interested in building technology that is really on the bleeding edge, think about contacting us. And then for everyone else, I would just encourage you to follow our story. I mean, we love talking about this business. It's incredibly exciting. You can follow us on Twitter at Mana Aero, LinkedIn, wherever. We love to get opinions from people, good or bad, about what we're doing or ideas that they might have. Always willing to talk. And if anyone has any questions, they can just fire off messages to me directly on LinkedIn. Fantastic stuff. And we'll also make sure to include all of those links as well in the show notes. Um, But Bobby, for now, I just want to thank you so much again for joining us today. Very welcome. It was a pleasure, Dave. And that is it for today's episode. A massive thank you again to Bobby Healy. 
Uh, we are going to be back again very, very soon. We've got Gemma Allen coming in from the IDA uh, to speak to us. And let's check out a teaser of that one. Reverse mentoring, but it's this idea that, you know, leaders can learn from their juniors and people can have really frank and candid conversations with leadership around what it is that isn't working and maybe what some of their opportunities for growth are in terms of how they manage and how they, you know, foster cultures within teams. And I think especially for the DE&I space, that's huge. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Irish Network. To find out more about the Digital Irish Network, check out www.digitalirish.com. On the website, you'll also find out more information about networking, events, news, and much, much more, all with a little bit of an Irish flair.